listening to the Real Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Real Life Church, including our gathering times in Yuma, Arizona, visit us online at reallifeyuma.com. I am so grateful for the opportunity to be with you and the opportunity to share as we continue this series of Who Needs Christmas? And um, I hope you remember what we talked a little bit about last time. Um, We talked about um, the story of Christmas. And I shared with you that the Christmas story is more um, believable um, because the story of Christmas is so remarkable. The story didn't begin with uh, Mary and Joseph, but it really began early in the book of Genesis as God chose to put his plan into action with a couple who never believed that they could have a child, a couple named Abram and Sarai. And it begins with an impossible promise that God made to him that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. We talked about the fact that we all needed a blessing. Adam and Eve rebelled, and when they rebelled, they brought sin into our world, and each and every one of us needed Christmas, didn't we? Now, Abram, he was an extraordinary man. God spoke to Abram, and Abram had faith that God would do exactly what he said he would do. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we read this last week and talked a little bit about that, but I wanted to revisit it and look at a couple other scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, he says, not knowing where he was going. And then Genesis 15 verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now again, Abram is an extraordinary man, but it's important to understand that Abram is just a man. He's like us, right? He's not perfect in so many ways. On his journey to go to this land that God is giving to him, he becomes fearful. He passes off Sarai, his wife, as his sister, not once, but, but twice. And instead of acting in faith, he acts in fear. So times he acts in faith and times he acts without faith. And I think it's a great reminder to us that we are not good enough to get ourselves out of the mess that we're in. In order for our sins to be forgiven, to be taken care of, something unimaginable needed to happen. God needed Christmas. Now, not in the sense that he needs gifts from us, right? 
but we needed something that we could never have earned. We needed a gift. We needed forgiveness. But our sin, our sin carries consequence, doesn't it? Our sin requires death. And God being just doesn't just overlook sin. So he set in motion an unimaginable plan through Abram towards Christmas. Parents, have you ever been in this situation? Have you ever thought that if my teenager really knew the way I felt about them, how I have the very best interest for their lives, they would would simply listen and consider my words? Instead, there's times that they, they look at us and they wonder if we were ever in their shoes, if we could really understand what they are going through. Sometimes there's this gap that exists between us and them, our children, that seems to be so impossible to overcome. Friends, clothing, curfew, doesn't matter, right? Anything can be this gap that we just can't understand how to communicate to them, and they can't understand why why we want to just suck the fun out of their lives. But think about it. How could God fully declare his love for us? Throughout the Old Testament, God had spoken. He had provided and cared for his people. He had sent his prophets who spoke his words to the people. He delivered warnings to them. He took them out of oppression when they were being oppressed. They allowed them to face judgment when they had turned away from following after him. This gap that exists between us and our children sometimes is is somewhat similar to the gap that exists between us and God. He has our best interests in mind, and there are times when we look at him and we wonder, why does he just want to suck the fun out of our lives? How can one who is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, omni-everything, right? How could he really relate to us who are flesh and blood? Well, last week we had a glimpse. As we read through the scriptures, we see what God had in mind. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, Paul is the author of Galatians. He's a Pharisee. He is trained to know the scriptures, and he is trained to look for the coming Messiah. And he writes, when the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. Now, what what made this the right time? Many have speculated several reasons for the the coming of that first Christmas. First, the, the Romans were ruling over Israel. It made the Jews hungry for the Messiah's coming. There was great anticipation among the Jews that the Messiah would come and deliver them from that oppression. Second, Rome itself had conquered much of the known world and had brought it under his governing. It gave a sense of unity to the various lands. It, it was variously together. 
Because the empire was mostly peaceful, travel was made possible, trade routes were established. There was freedom to travel as no other time. Third, there was a common language. Greek had become the the trade language spoken throughout the empire, and it made it possible for them to communicate to many different people from many different language or nations with one language. And there could be more that could be said about the, the timing of that first Christmas. Rome was on a mission to to conquer and civilize the rest of the world. Safe roads, common language, trade routes, they all opened up tremendous opportunities. And at the same time, the people experienced a failed temple. Money trumped mercy. Sacrifices could be made at the right price where the people of God and the people that he cared for were not being cared for but being taken advantage of by those who had been charged to care for them. The people lived in an empire that had been built on violence and in a temple sustained by corruption. It was time when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. His son. Why? Why not another messenger? Why not another prophet? Why not a cloud in the sky? Why God in the flesh? It says, born of a woman, born under the law. This is where that unimaginable plan gets real. Why come as a baby? He could have chosen any way in which to shown up. He could have come with great power. He could have come as a mighty king. He could have had a a huge army by his side. Why would he put on flesh and show up just like we do? A helpless baby. Why be born and accountable to the law? He had given the law. Why not just be accountable to himself? Well, my friends, God in sending his son, he ends the reign of the law and inaugurates a brand new age. The son is born fully human, fully under the law that he had given. He is with us. Paul suggests that all of us are born under the law when he says to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus is born under the law to redeem us. That is to remove the obstacle that existed between us and between God, between our sin and God's holiness so that we might receive adoption. And Paul, Paul shifts that meta- metaphor a little bit from a child being adopted to receiving the adoption is receiving the inheritance the thing that God has set aside for us. Under Roman law, adopted children had the very same legal status, the same inheritance rights as biological children. And it's a significant thing that Paul doesn't say the Jews were biological children of God and the Gentiles were adopted children. He, he says we're all adopted children. 
None of us have any prior claim on the Father. None of us earned a right into his presence. Our adoption is a pure gift. Jesus himself is the son of God, the sole son of God, sent for our reconciliation so that we might know him and be adopted into his family and to share in his inheritance. Again, we all needed a solution for our sin, right? God provides that by sending his own son to be born of Mary, to declare and demonstrate once and for all his love for us, and to provide the only way that brings us into a right relationship with the Father. How would we know where we stood with God if we had not, he had not come to stand with us? So at just the right time, God staged a demonstration. A demonstration. Well, what's that? Dictionary says, it's the action or process of showing the existence or truth of something by giving proof or evidence. God staged a demonstration, and he does it in spectacular fashion, a demonstration to the world of his commitment for each and every one of us. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrates. That's the word that Paul uses here in Romans 5.8. In the Greek, it means to provide evidence of a personal characteristic or a, a claim through action to, to demonstrate, to show, or to bring out. God demonstrates his love for us. Now, the prophets had spoken about it. The authors of Scripture had, had written about it. But Jesus comes and, and fully demonstrates the love that God has for each and every one of us. Now, to whom does God show this great love? To those who love him? To those who are fully devoted to following after his ways? No. He demonstrates this to those who were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Those who had no regard for God. For those of us who did not have a care for him, his word, or his ways. He demonstrated that he was for us, that he loved us before we ever had the opportunity to, to decide if we were for him. Jesus' death was that demonstrated demonstration, a public demonstration of how committed he was for each and every one of us. He died for us. Again, sometimes I think, well, why? Why death? Why? Why the death that he died? Death on a cross. So harsh. So public. There's no dignity. There's no mercy for those who, who hung there, just judgment for their crimes. Why couldn't Jesus just pronounce, everybody's forgiven? Well, as much as God loves us, he can't just overlook sin. 
He can't just turn his head and ignore it. He can't pretend that it did not affect everything. Sometimes you and I want an easy button, right? Easy button for my life. Easy button for my decisions. My friends, there is no easy button for our sin. Nothing that we could press that just makes it go away. Nothing that we can press and just magically says your sins are forgiven. The Bible tells us again that God is the author of our lives. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God has formed and fashioned everything, and he holds ownership over all of his creation. We are accountable to him. He creates each and every one of us for his purposes. And when we sin, we choose to dishonor him, and we shoulder the consequences of our sin, which is death and separation from God. We owe him our lives. We have forfeited our life because of our disregard for the life that he gave to us. We owe that debt that we cannot pay ourselves. But God demonstrates his own love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That for us is in our place. He paid that penalty for each and every one of us. Peter and John fully understood that when they stepped on the streets of Jerusalem to preach after the resurrection. One day they had come and they had healed a lame man and the people were marveling and they were amazed. And then Peter, Peter stands up to preach. And in Acts chapter 3, 13 through 18, we read this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Strong words. They are openly reminding the people that they are the ones who refused to have Jesus released when Pilate was so willing to do so. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life whom God has raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. So instead of taking Jesus, they asked for a murderer to be released among them instead. They had turned their backs on Jesus. They had, they had killed the prince of life, but God, God had raised them from the dead, and they remind them, we're witnesses of these things. We're witnesses of you rejecting Jesus. We are witnesses of your murder of Jesus, and we're witnesses of his resurrection. And they say this, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know you did this out of ignorance, as did also all your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Jesus' death, demonstrated the magnitude 
of our ingratitude and the magnitude of his love for each and every one of us. You see, you can't demonstrate love without sacrifice. You can say it all day long, but you can't demonstrate love without sacrifice. It costs you a little something. Your time, your energy, your thoughtfulness, your resources. You can say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if you're going to demonstrate it, it's going to cost you. You cannot demonstrate great love without a great sacrifice. You see, you and I never really know how much somebody loves us until he or she has the opportunity or the need to sacrifice for us. God demonstrated his great love for us through a great but necessary sacrifice. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 would remind us, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God needed Christmas to demonstrate and document his love for the whole world. And he needed to make it clear, obvious that something unimaginable had happened. Otherwise, how could we have ever known? Jesus had to become man under the law, just as we all are, to die our kind of death in our place so that we might be forgiven and able to have this relationship with the Father. All religions, every single one, look for a way to God or through to holiness, to be right. They all require something some sacrifice, some commitment that proves that you are worthy. But God, he changes the story. He helps us understand that there is not a single thing that you and I can do that would ever make us worthy. No act, no sacrifice great enough to break the power of sin in our lives. So God does the unimaginable. Instead, he sacrifices for us to bridge the gap that existed between us and him through his son, Jesus. So when the set time had fully come, a Jewish carpenter wrestles with a discovery. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 23, we read about it. It says the birth of Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph and Mary are betrothed. They are committed to be husband and wife. And in that culture, many times the the marriage is an arranged marriage. It is often put together for, for the good of the families. And the man would go home and prepare a place for he and his wife to live. And at the right time, he would come and get his wife and bring her so that she can be with him. Well, as Joseph is in the process of preparing this place, he learns about Mary. 
She is with child. Now, he must have loved her. He could have ruined her. He could have ruined her family. Instead, he is looking for a way to quietly dissolve this marriage. Scripture goes on to say this. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The angel appears to to Joseph. Mary's not been untrue, the, the child. There's something about this child. He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God staged a great demonstration and documented it to the whole world so that, again, we once and for all would know of his great love for us. We needed to see it to believe it. He had to be with us so that we could know he was for us. We needed a demonstration. God needed Christmas. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at reallifeyuma.com or download the Real Life Church app. And again, thanks for listening to the Real Life Church Podcast.